We're continuing on in our series, Greater Than. We're looking at Christ in Colossians, and each week we have a testimony, and today we've got a, a guy from our Newbers location, and Giovanni is an amazing man, amazing story, and him and his wife and his family have been a core part of Open Arms for a number of years now. He's just going to share his testimony before I jump into the sermon. God is greater than any addiction. I remember when I was, uh, when I was younger, I used to have so many addictions. I used to smoke a lot. I watch porns. I used to drink a lot. I used to pass out while drinking. But I know in my mind that uh, I, this has to stop at some point. No? And yeah, I did. I do stop for a couple of months, maybe a month or two or three. But I eventually find my way going back again to the addiction. And it became an endless cycle, going back into addiction, stopping and back. And every time I come back to the addiction, it's gotten more stronger. The stronghold is getting more stronger on me. And I, I realized again for the end time that this has, this has got to stop. I invited Jesus to come into my heart. My addiction stopped. I couldn't do it by myself. It's only Jesus. When I invited Jesus into my heart, my addiction stopped because I could, couldn't do it by myself alone. I need Jesus because Jesus is greater than any addiction. He's greater than all things. You know, last week we celebrated in our brand new building 20 baptisms. 20 baptisms, and it was an incredible moment of, for us as, as we was uh, in total, when, from the 27th of August and last week as well, we baptized almost 50 people in open arms just in the last few weeks, which has been incredible. And our, our mission is to see people experience life change through Jesus Christ, and that's why Baptisms are such a beautiful picture of it. And here's a, a picture of that beautiful life change. All of the ones who got baptized. Some of are still were here today in this service. And uh, we decided to, to actually hold the baptisms in our new building. Which, yes, as John said, it's not ready yet. I won't be ready for some time. We'll be talking about that on the 1st of October at the core team meeting. But uh, also last week we had Lynn share a testimony and this is her son, Ryan, and this is the next photo. Ryan was the very first one baptized in our new building in open arms, and so, which is really cool. And uh, you can still see it's still a warehouse. Look at Alan on the side there, cheering him on. That's a great photo, isn't it, Joanne? <laughs> it looks like we're kind of like holding him by the neck there. I know. He was willing, right? He was willing, but we had to... No, I'm joking. It was, it was fantastic. And uh, so thank you all to, who were there and part of that and who were baptized also. And it's just been so exciting to see uh, all that God has been doing in recent months as we're building and we're building. And we believe that Jesus is greater than. Colossians 1.16 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Some of us have visible problems. Some of us have Invisible problems that we've brought with us in here, in this moment. But whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. We passionately believe that Jesus Christ is greater than 
all things. He's greater than your hopes and your dreams and your future. He's greater than your fears and your failures and your faults. He's greater than what you face. He's greater than what is, surrounds you. He's greater than what is before you. He is greater than all things. And that's what we're looking at in Colossians in this book, this short book, four chapters long. The theme is Jesus is Lord of all, and he's greater than. We're spending 12 weeks, 12 weeks going into the four chapters. This is week two, 12 weeks building up to Christmas, which is fantastic. So each week you can be like, okay, there's one more week to Christmas. And we count it down and we count it down together. We build up and get ready for that. And we're asking and to everybody to commit to being here Every Sunday, life happens, things happen, of course, yes, but to go on this journey together, that we grow together, learn together, build together, and we'd be able to believe as we get ready to enter into the next year to come that we don't want to think about too quickly, that we go in with greater focus and hope built on the Word of God. Amen? So we're going to jump into, as I said, week two. And if you got your Bible with you today, I know many of you have uh, got your Bibles. We're going to open up to Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And we really want to encourage everybody um, to, of course, be reading your Bible throughout the week. But also encourage you to, to read slowly. As you read back and look back at verses 1 to 8, as you look at uh, this week, verses 9 to 14, next week, I can't wait to preach verses 15 to 20, which is just some of the you know, most uh, important scriptures in, in scripture. And um, to read slowly. It's not about how much you read. There's no prize given to the one who read the most Bible, okay? It's, it's to read slowly and, and to allow it to read you to ask the Lord to reveal to you deeper insights and wisdom and knowledge and to apply it to your life. And so that's why I just love being able to take our time on Sundays as we get deeper into it to look at who wrote this? Where were they? When did they write this? Who were they writing this to? And what does it mean for me that we can apply the Word of God? And it's through that and in that that we see the power of the Holy Spirit bring the Word of God alive in us and to see life change. So as we begin... In verse 9, it says, for this reason. It's a continuation of the words that were read previously. And we looked at last week. And the title of the scripture was, Remember When. Paul says, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. When we heard about you, we were praying for you. Why? Because you heard the gospel. We saw your faith in Jesus and your love for people. And we saw that you grasped the grace of God, that you learned it from Epaphras, and then you applied it and you're building this church. And so he says that we have been praying for you. He says that we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So that, and that is important. It's the application. It's the purpose. So that you may have, or I'll skip my verses here. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. So that you may have great endurance and patience. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us 
into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen? So I want to speak to you on the title today, Knowing God's Will Without Knowing. Knowing God's Will Without Knowing. Colossians 1.9 says, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will. What does that mean? His will, His will, and what He wants to happen for your life, the purpose of your life, the direction of your life, and what you want to see happen, and the prayers and desires and dreams of your heart, the, the, the will of God that surrounds your life. He said, to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now, as you look at Paul, who is the Apostle Paul, the, the writer of these words, where he was at this time, he was in the city of Rome when he was writing these words. The city of Rome at this time, back in the days of Jesus, this is about 30 years after the death of Jesus, and Rome was quite you know, it was the superpower of the world. And at this time, the church was being persecuted. And so to preach the gospel, you could be imprisoned. And that's exactly what happened to Paul. He was put in prison for preaching the gospel. And very soon, theologians believe that after he was writing these words, very soon, he was executed and martyred for being a Christian. Martyred for preaching the gospel. Martyred for raising leaders and planting churches. And what is interesting, he was martyred in the city that would very soon accept Christianity as the religion of the day. Rome embraced Christianity and then spread it throughout the then known world and then formed the church. And it's amazing that Paul was here being imprisoned for what would very soon become spread through the world. And then what we see next happens is that the, the, the fall of Rome and then what happens, the gospel goes to a man named Patrick into Ireland and Ireland changes the world and then wins the Rugby World Cup in 2023. Somebody say, come on, somebody. Yeah, come on. But I, I'm trying to get the context for you and the the Paul here, he did deep spiritual wisdom and understanding of God's will for his life. In fact, verse 1, he opens up in the book. And in fact, in most of the letters that he writes in the New Testament, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. I'm only here because of the will of God. I, I get to be here. I get to do this. I get to have this responsibility. But even as Paul was praying for the church in Colossae to be filled with the knowledge of his will, Paul was in a place where he didn't know what was going to happen next. He was in a place where he was fulfilling the will of God without truly knowing how it was going to work out. Can you imagine in prison that before he's about to be executed and live this life, this, this life of suffering and someone was to say to him, Paul, because of your obedience and how you followed God, hundreds of thousands of people are going to give their life to Jesus and one day they're going to read your words as scripture, as the Bible. Can you imagine his response? He would have been ecstatic. But the truth is, all of us, you see, we have this context where we look back through the lens as if everybody in the Bible knew and Paul knew what was going to happen next. But the truth is, he didn't know. 
He's writing these words saying, I hope and pray that God will fill you with his will through the wisdom and understanding that only through the Spirit of God can give, that you would know God's will. He was writing as a man who was fulfilling God's will without knowing. Knowing what would happen next. Knowing where it would lead to. He didn't know the outcome, but he trusted in God's will. True faith, belief, and trust in God is knowing God and knowing God's will without knowing. Without knowing. Without knowing what impact it's going to make. Without knowing what the outcome is going to be. Without knowing what the, the, the next step that's going to be revealed. Like if I do this, when will this happen? Without knowing where the finances are going to come from. Without knowing if there's certainty and clarity and, and, and it's all going to even make sense. It's knowing God's will without Knowing, and the key here that Paul prays is that we will be filled with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. The message translates verse 9 as this, that Paul asks God to give them wise minds and spirits attuned to his will. It's the Spirit of God that will provide wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. So it is to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. To be in tune and tune our ears to hear his voice, to hear his words, to hear his promise, to hear his direction in every step that we take. So the answer is that what, what we want to, how do we know God's will? Well, it's through his Holy Spirit. So that the now will re, be revealed. Maybe not even the next, but the now. The next step to take, this, this now, today that we would know and be revealed to us through his Holy Spirit. And then being obedient to the call and the command that God gives us and have full confidence that I'm knowing God's will. Not full confidence in knowing all, but maybe just knowing God's will for today. Maybe just knowing the bread that he gives me today is for today. It's the provision that I have. I'm not focused on the provision that's going to come. I'm focused on the provision that I have right now in my hand. I'm not going to focus on who I should be or need to be. I'm going to focus on who I am and who God has called me to be. Colossians 1.9 says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. He says, what does he give? He gives wisdom and understanding. Wisdom is the ability to accumulate and receive knowledge. Understanding is the ability to apply the knowledge that we receive. We need both. Wisdom and understanding in order to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Knowledge is not just to be accumulated. It's to be applied to your life. I may know what I need to do and what I should do and what I should, how I should be, but Knowledge without application is useless. Would you agree? I may know what I need to do, but unless I do it, I don't really need that knowledge. Have you ever met someone who always knows? You ever met someone? I just, some people who I probably don't call anymore, I would call and say, hey, I don't know if you heard, but da, 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 da. yeah, I knew that. I, it's the most frustrating thing in the world when you talk to someone and I say, yeah, I know. We, we have a saying in Ireland, we say, 
Your man is like a walking encyclopedia. He knows everything. But they don't ever do anything about what they know. They may be experts in what you should do and how you should do it and how the government should be run and how the church should do this and how this and this, but they never enact any change. You have all the knowledge in the world, but they don't do anything about it. You know anyone like that? If you don't know anyone like that, you probably are. No, I'm joking. (laughs) We all do it. We all do it. We all have the knowledge. We all are ones to give great advice, but not actually apply the advice that we have. One of the most frustrating things Jillian has said to me over the years is uh, she will, you know, maybe telling me something and telling me something and telling me something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then someone who, you know, might be in my life who tells me the very same thing that she said. And I go, yeah, you're right. You know what? You know what they said? I go back to Jill. Do you know what they said that I should do? And she's like, I've been telling you that for 10 years. You ever, anyone have wives? Anyone, you're saying that to your husbands? I've been telling you for years to do that. It's, it's knowledge. Not, not, knowledge is power, most people say. No. Application of the knowledge is power. That's why God doesn't use the smartest, the richest, the most beautiful, the whatever. He, like the people at the pinnacle and have everything that everyone wanted. God doesn't use them. Why? Because they don't really need anything. God needs people who are so hungry and desire and, and to, to actually to learn and then to learn and then to apply and then to learn and then to apply and then to have an ability within us to actually apply what we hear on Sunday from Monday to Saturday and not coming back every Sunday like the horse comes to the well who forgot that he actually took a drink last week and actually knows what they need to know and actually now apply it. It's not just the knowledge that we need. It's the understanding to apply the wisdom and the knowledge that we have. How? Well, through the Spirit of God. This means taking time to sit and to write and to listen to God. Maybe to to walk in nature or walk, go for a walk and to pray and just to listen to God. Maybe it's to, to read God's word and then to read and stop and sit and listen to God. Maybe it's to in worship like we just worshiped this morning. It's just to, to listen to God and say, God, what are you saying to me? And, and, and hear him and, and listen. It requires us to open our ears to listen. You know, as I was writing these very words and studying this week, I decided I'm going to try it. I'm going to ask God. And I'm going to listen to what he says. And so what I did is I sat down. I had three questions just on my mind, just kind of going through the, 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 the encircling in my head. And I wrote them down. I stopped and I listened and I wrote down what he sensed. He said to me, and I said, okay, I'm going to hold on to that. Now, the working out of this is a lot more difficult than as simple as we say. You hear what I'm saying? You know, my son, recently I was <clears throat> at night, get to have, you know, conversations with him. He's at nine, but he's got all the questions of life. And I was talking to him about, about prayer and hearing from God. And he said this question, I know all of us ask. He says, well, how do you know it's me or it's God and not me? Have you ever asked that before? And then I said to him, well, you know, the more that you listen, 
the more that you will discern and then the more that you will know. The more that you listen to God, the more you discern his voice and then the more that you will know God's voice. But here's a part of that we probably don't say too much. That you will never be sure and know. You'll never know. You'll never know if it's God or you. You'll never know if it's the right thing to do. You, you will never like truly know. Because how could you know? It's a sense. It's a feeling. It's a discernment. Could you get that discernment wrong? Maybe. But here, here's the thing that we need to grasp. I need to acknowledge. Acknowledge that it's often in the not knowing that we learn how to know. You see, faith and trust in God is not the absence of doubt. That we focus and fixate that like, I shouldn't doubt. And it's, it's not the absence of doubt. It's the presence of belief. It's to be in the presence of God and then be to learn, to attune to his will and the voice and the spirit of God and discern to go, I sense the peace of God in this. I'm not 100% sure if this is the sermon that I should be preaching or this is the exact sentence I should be saying or this is the direction that I should be taking or this is the relationship that I have or this is what I should be doing in my life. I don't really know, but knowing God's will is knowing without truly knowing. You hear what I'm saying? But I got to do something. I got I to gotta hold on. I, I sense, I sense, I feel that this is God's voice. This is God's direction. This is the decision that I make. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm going to trust and believe that this is God. And here's the other part that we can add to that is to say, God, I sense that this is your voice, that this is what you're telling me to do. And then say, but I'm open for you to change me. I'm open for you to change my direction. I'm open for you to change this situation where maybe it's just for a season. But I'm going to take an action. I'm going to take a decision. God may lead you to the next step in your college course or your career or the location that you have to do or the direction that you have to take. He may, he may take you to the next step and then you end up somewhere that you never thought that you would be. Anyone ever have that experience? You say... I never thought I would end up here. But you had to do what you know without knowing fully where you would end up and where you would be in the end. But you had to focus on what you know. Let me ask you this question. What is the Lord saying to you today? And if you don't know, ask him. Be specific, be direct, be persistent. And in his presence, you will sense his peace and what his voice says to you in the quiet. In fact, James said this in chapter 1, verse 5. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom or insight or direction or knowledge of his will about a problem or, or um, an issue that you're facing or a worry or a concern, it says, you should ask God. God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. When you ask him, it's, it's not 
to have the absence of doubt, but have the presence of belief, to believe this is God. I'm going to accept that this is God. I'm going to hear God's voice. I'm going to take it as the word of God because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And here's where I bring the challenge as we enter verse 10. It says, verse 9, We continue to ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit of God gives so that you may. And Paul then outlines specifically what we do know God wants us to do. So rather than focusing on what we don't know, to focus on what we do know. He says to live a, a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him, bearing fruit, growing and increasing in knowledge, strengthened in power, with great endurance and faith and living joyfully and thankfully in Him. This, we can be sure, is the will of God. This is what it looks like to walk in the will of God. And this was a revelation for me in study as I was studying, preparing and reading, applying what it means in my own life. And, and here's what really I feel like God say to me and speak to me for you today is that the greatest problem in life is not to know what to do. It's to do what you know. The greatest problem in life is not to know what to do. It's to do what you know. And then to do what you know will lead to what you don't know right now. Because if you're like me, I want to know it all. I know where it's going to end up. I know where it's going to lead. I want to know what the next 10 things are going to be. I know if, if this is the right decision, I want to be completely sure. I want to make sure all my ducks in a row. But oftentimes, it's just to do what I know right now and trust God that he will reveal what I don't know in time. My son, Brandon, he's two years old today. Two years old. And he is a... He's a toddler full in the tantrums of a two-year-old, right? He's just, that's what we're going through right now. We're grateful for him and we're also like, he's just so cute. How could you ever be angry with him? But he's wrecking our heads and wrecking our house and wrecking everything, drawing on the walls. And, but he's, he's incredible. And here's the truth. I don't know how Brandon is going to be at, at 22. I don't know. I don't know what he's going to be like at 42. I don't know where his life is going to end up, what directions or decisions he's going to make. And, and I don't know if you're like me and you're a parent, i got four of them, and, and, and you worry about what you don't know. I don't know. I don't know where my kids are going to end up. But I have to make a choice to do what I do know now. I'm going to parent them as best as I can. I'm going to discipline where I feel I should discipline I'm going to invest and pour time into them and energy and I'm going to I pray that God will just I trust it over to him, to, to him. I don't know where, where things are going to go economically. I don't know what it's going to be like. Is it going to be a greater boom or is it going to be the worst recession that we've ever had? I, I don't know. But what I do know, I choose to do now. I'm going to save. I'm going to Continue to give and be generous and let that flow through me. I'm going to invest. I'm going to steward diligently that which God has given me without focusing on what I don't have right now. I don't know. Maybe you're asking, I don't know where my career is going to end up. I don't know what, if I'm going to have this job next year or where it's going to lead or if I'm going to get this promotion. But what I do know, I'm going to do now. I'm going to learn again. I'm going to grow. I'm going to become a voracious leader or learner. 
and student. I'm going to read. I'm going to connect with others. I'm going to network. I'm going to go build and invest in myself so that no matter what happens in the season of life, I'm going to continue to thrive. Maybe you say, I don't know whether this mental or physical or emotional despair that I'm experiencing is going to get the best of me. But what I do know, I'm going to do now. I'm going to be grateful that I'm here right now. I'm going to be in the present. I'm going to embrace life. I'm actually, I'm going to focus on Jesus who is my hope. Maybe everything around me is causing hopelessness within me, but I'm going to focus on Jesus who is my joy. Knowing God's will without knowing is to submit what we don't know to him and to do what we do know today, now. And what, what I was thinking about this in my own life and sharing this with you and trying to make it real and vulnerable for me, I was thinking as a leader, as a leader of my family, as a leader of my team, as a leader of my church, most times I don't know. If I was to be honest, most times I don't know. I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know where we're going to end up. I don't know if I make this decision, is it going to be the right decision? I don't know. I don't know what is going to happen if we take this direction. But in faith, I choose to do what I do know and trust God for the rest. I'm going to choose to do what I do know and trust God for the rest. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says it like this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. If you're going to do it, do it with your all, your, all your heart. Not half your heart. All your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, your own power, your own ability to apply it. But in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Submit what you don't know and trust in him who knows. And he will make your path straight. He will straighten it out. It's choosing to do what we do know now. It's what Paul, I believe, brings our attention to it in verse 10. It says, so that you may. So that you may. He said, I, I pray that he will fill you with the knowledge of his will through wisdom and understanding that the Spirit of God gives so that you may. So I want to share with you three things that we can know. Three things that we are assured in Scripture that God is calling us to do, to apply, to... So uh, God is trying to call someone right now because their phone keeps going off. I don't know the silent button. To do what we do know now. Here's the first thing. Be fulfilled, be fruitful in works and fulfilled in His way. Be fruitful in works and be fulfilled in his way. Verse 10 says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. That you would hear the words of your father say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful with what I gave you. You were faithful with what I allowed to be revealed to you to know. You were diligent and steward what I gave you. Well done. Is to hear the words of the Lord who's pleased by you. By, it says, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. You see, walking worthy of the Lord requires us to do good works. Matthew Henry said that good words will not do 
without good works. You may be one who tells everybody great things, but do you do great things? You see, you tell me with your voice, but do you show me with your hands? We, we're called as Christians, we're called as believers. That is, that as we hear the faith of God and or the faith that comes through receiving Jesus, that we are also to do. James says that faith without works is dead. James 2.17, so you see faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. We're to be fruitful in our works, the good that we do for others, how we live our lives externally, the attitude that we have, the behavior, the way that we treat others, that others would see that we are fruitful in good works and fulfilled in his way. By growing, it says, or one translation says, increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul says in verse 9 that we'll be filled in the knowledge of God. The original Greek in which the word fill was written can be translated to make full or to fully fill. To be fulfilled in the way of God is to be fully filled in the knowledge of his will and his way. Proverbs 3, 6 says, In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. It's to know that I'm on his path. I don't always know where it's going to lead, but I'm fulfilled. I'm content, fully filled in the knowledge that I'm on his path. You hear what I'm saying? That I'm in his will. I don't know if it's the right thing. I don't know if where it's going to end up. I don't know if my, the path is going to lead here, there, or anywhere else. But I'm fully filled in the knowledge that I'm in his will. That I'm on his way. That I'm in his ways. You see, we often seek fulfillment in our way. We seek fulfillment in our will. In what we want. But true fulfillment comes only by submitting our ways and finding our fulfillment in his way. And so Paul, he's, he's sharing with us as the church and the Christian that we would have the discernment of God's will and God's way through wisdom, which is the knowledge in what to do and the will of God. But then he brings our attention to the power to do God's will. Here's the second thing, that we'll be strengthened with power and steadfast with patience. Strengthened with power and steadfast with patience. Verse 11 says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance, steadfastness, firm, stable, resolute, resilient, and patience. The will of God will lead towards suffering. To follow the way of Christ is to follow the way of suffering. And many of us think that when we, you know, it's going to be easier when we give our life to Jesus and that we follow his way and follow his path that it's going to be like the 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 yellow brick road right it's going to lead towards the place that we want to be but the truth of the matter is that following the way of Christ is to follow the way of suffering we thought that God was going to take away the pain but the pain's still there what God said is he will give you is endurance, steadfastness, perseverance. Endurance is defined suffering through difficulty. Romans 3 verse 5 says, or 5 verse 3 says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. 
It produces endurance, steadfastness, perseverance, character, and character, hope. To follow the way of Jesus is to follow the way of suffering, but we need to realize that it's through suffering that we see perseverance and character and hope. He says that, that we will be strengthened with power and steadfast with patience. Patience is to sustain or to be sustained through difficulty. Patience can be defined in this way as the capacity to accept or tolerate problems. A closer definition could be that a, to, to tolerate or put up with difficult people. It's, it's to suffer without becoming annoyed or anxious, without reacting. It's to be patient. It's not happening the way I thought it would be. It's not happening the timing that I thought it would be. And they are completely ticking me off and I want to kill them and get rid of them. But God's coming to be patient. The special strength through the Spirit of God is given to us for suffering. Suffering in our minds, suffering in our hearts, suffering in our, our walk with God, suffering in dealing with difficult people, suffering in going through all this pain and these trials and these hardships, maybe suffering through persecution, suffering through slander, suffering through other people putting you down. We see Paul, he was suffering for the sake of the gospel. And here he's writing to the church in Colossae that was suffering and actually to discern the dangerous teaching that they were hearing, to know what to do, to know what to believe, to know what to trust, to know what the direction to take. And they were all suffering. But even in our suffering, God calls us to endure patiently. Matthew Henry, the famous theologian, said it like this. There is work to be done, fruitful work, even when we are suffering. God gives us the grace to do what we know even when we feel like giving up. I've met so many people who have opted out because they're suffering. Sorry, I can't do it. I'm going through this. I'm, I'm, I'm walking through that. I'm going through this difficult trial in my life. Did you think maybe that God was going to use this for your good to teach you that even when you're suffering, you can do the work of God, the will of God, and follow the way of God? That it's in your suffering that He produces perseverance. That it gives you the grace of God. Have you ever been able to say, when someone asks you the question, how are you still going? How are you smiling? How are you getting through this? You say, I don't know. I, I don't really know. But all I know God's given me grace. All I know is that he's opened the door. All I know is that I just keep putting one foot in step of the other and he just keeps taking things out of my way and working all things together for his good. I don't really truly know how I'm making it through, but I'm not giving up. I'm enduring patiently. Someone asked me this week saying, you know, did you ever think about how, how did you get through all that? And I said, you know what God did? He withheld from me the knowledge of what really was going on so that I could endure patiently. Maybe the fact that you don't know is a good thing. Maybe the fact that you're oblivious to what other people are saying about you and you're naive to actually the innocence of, of what you're doing. Maybe not is the, not the right thing in the right way, but maybe it takes someone to do what no one else has done before in a way that no one else has done before with a naivety and an innocence like a child. In fact, it could be described as childlike faith and knowing that maybe I'm just being bold, maybe I'm just being ignorant, but hey, maybe God could do this. 
Maybe he called me. Maybe he spoke. Maybe that was God's voice. What is God saying to you today? Where he's given you the grace to not give up, that your life will be a testimony, that your life will be, that through you will be a beacon of hope and light that others would see in, and especially in a time of darkness. Eugene Peterson said this in the message translation, we pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength that comes through gritting your teeth, your strength? No. The glory strength that God gives. It is the strength that endures the undurable and spills over into joy. That endures the unendurable and spills over into joy. Here's the third thing. I believe Paul is telling us that we do know that what we can apply today in following the will of God is to be joyful in the journey. Be joyful in the journey. Verse 12, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Who has qualified you? It means to make you sufficient. That you pass. That you're enough. In fact, the, the direct translation between the original word used for qualified is translated as to authorize you. To give you authority. I don't deserve to be. I haven't got enough knowledge. I haven't passed that yet. I haven't gained enough. I haven't proved myself or I'm not this or I'm not that. All the things that we say about ourselves. And God says, it's okay. I authorize you to share in the inheritance of his holy people. The kingdom of light. You know, sometimes in life when we don't even fully know the completion of his will or where the way will lead, sometimes we just need to learn to enjoy the journey. Just enjoy the journey. Just to, just to settle down for a second. Okay, you don't know. And you don't know all things. You don't know where it's going to end. Okay, can you enjoy what you do know? Can you enjoy where you are? Can you enjoy who you have around you? Can you look in the mirror and embrace and enjoy the person that looks back in it? Okay, I know I'm not perfect and I know I've got so much of things to work on, but you know what? I thank you, Jesus, that you've qualified me, that you've chosen me, that you called me, that you love me. I thank you. I thank you. I'm grateful. Oh, Lord, I am joyful. I am thankful. I praise you. As a step back to look at the, the context again of the words, that's why I just I love the Bible. I love because I don't just take it, you know, as fine print written down, black and white. As ask, ask questions. What did he mean by that? Why, why was he saying that? Where, where, why, where was he when he was saying that? Or where was she and when that was going on? And the context of, of these words is Paul was finally in the place that he had desired, dreamed of, and longed to be. He was in Rome. Rome was his ancestral home. Rome was which the generations that had gone before him had come from. And, and once he became a Christian, as we can read in Scripture in the New Testament, we see, we see this recurring theme that comes up and he talks about it, is that he had a longing to bring the gospel back home. He had this you know, transformation encounter with Jesus Christ through a vision. And, and he was taken from being a persecutor of Christians to now being a builder of the church. In fact, God gave him a new name from Saul to Paul. The Apostle Paul. 
And so he's in this place and he, he's, he, he learns the gospel, just what we looked at last week. He heard, he understood, he learned, and he had this desire to go back home to Rome because he knew that Rome was the center of the universe at that time as a superpower. If he could go to Rome, can you imagine the influence and the impact that that would make transforming Rome and then changing the world? That was his longing. That was his desire. I want to show you what ended up happening in Paul's life and the journey before we finally get it to where he wanted to be. And here's just a little picture of what Paul's journey was like before he actually got to where he wanted to be. You see, Paul, he encounters Jesus. He experiences transformation, life change, and he wants to bring it to Rome. But what he chooses to do in this moment is he submits to the will of God. He knows God's will, which is to go to Rome. But he also knows God's will without really knowing where it's going to lead to and where it's going to end up. So what does he do? He follows God's voice. He ends up going all around the place, through Europe and Asia Minor and all different places and cities that you would never even want to be wondering, maybe like us, where am I going to end up? I feel like I'm here and then I'm here and then I'm there and then I'm there and I'm going through all these obstacles and all these decisions and all these things. But all along the way, through wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, he became filled with the knowledge of his will. And listen to what he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 8. He says, first, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit and preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness. And how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open, may be open for me to come to you. If it was Paul's will, just show that again. If it was Paul's will, he would have just ended up here. He wouldn't be writing a letter to Colossians or Thessalonians or Philippians or Corinthians. If, if he hadn't followed God's will, can you imagine what we would have missed out on? We, we may not have even known who Paul was. And what's interesting is that when he did go to Rome, what happened next? He was imprisoned and he was martyred. Can you imagine if he skipped God's will and he went straight to what he wanted? We don't know, of course. But the truth of the matter is, if we're just about fulfilling and following our will and our way and what we want, rather than submitting to his ways and his will and his way that he wants for us, can you imagine the, what happens when we follow his way that we end up experiencing an impact that we never thought was ever going to happen? We, we end up writing a story and living an experience that we could never have thought up or imagined or dreamed of or asked for. God, I asked for this, but you gave me so much more. I never thought it would work out that way. I never thought it would happen that way. I never thought I would end up somewhere that I couldn't have even been like bold enough to ask for. Submitting your ways, embracing the fact that you don't truly know, but choosing to do what you do know. As you ask yourself this question, as I asked it of myself this week, 
Am I walking in your will, Lord? Are you walking in the will of God? This is what I sense God say to me for all of us is this. Yes, when? You're walking in the will of God when? 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 When you're fruitful in good works. Treating others with respect. Loving your neighbor as you love yourself. When you are fulfilled in his way. You're growing and increasing in the knowledge of God. You're fully fulfilled. Fully filled. Knowing that I'm on his path. That when you are strengthened with power. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. All power through mighty, the mighty work of God. And you are steadfast with patience. All the while being joyful and thankful in the journey. This is God's will for your life. That's his will for your life. Why don't you just close your eyes and bow your heads with me for a moment as we finish. I'm just going to invite Jody to come up and jump on the keyboard there for a second. Jody, as we finish. Are you following the will of God? Knowing God's will without knowing. I don't know where we're going to be this time next year. I don't know if this is the path that I should be on. Maybe you ask, I don't know if this is a relationship that I'd be in. I'll challenge you. Would you come to the one who knows and ask him? Right now, ask him. Holy Spirit, reveal to me. What should I do? What should I believe in? Where should I go? As you ask, listen. Discern and know his presence and the words that he speaks to you. Because when you ask, you will receive. When you seek, you will find. When you knock, the door will be open to you. And I'll tell you from my experience, and it's an experience, not a necessarily something I know but my experience is that when I actually hear God's voice and I do what I sense him saying I experience provision I experience an open door I experience an opportunity to receive I just it falls into place and I believe he can do the same for you as I finish in verse 13 and 14 and I want to leave you with this from verse 9 to 12, Paul uses you, you, so that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will through wisdom and understanding through what the Spirit gives. That you may be bear fruit and grow in the knowledge of God. That you may be strengthened with power and endure patiently. That, that you, you. But then he changes the language of verse 13. It says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we 
have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Guess what? It's not all about you. But together, it can be about us. That maybe following God's will is not so that the benefit ends with you. Or you may say that the benefit ends with me. What if it actually ends with we, us, together? It says that we have been rescued from the dominion of darkness. But I still feel in the dominion of darkness. I look deeper into the translation of dominion. It comes from the word domain. And a domain in which you live in is to be ruled in a certain realm where the power of choice and right and privilege has authority. And we may feel right now out of control because we're in the dominion of darkness, but the reason God has us here is to bring others into the kingdom of light. It's to live redeemed. It's to live reconciled with God, receiving the forgiveness of our sins so that we can rescue others by bringing them into the kingdom of light, by sharing the gospel, by presenting Jesus and giving them an opportunity to give their life to Jesus. So as you bow your heads and close your eyes right now in this moment, Maybe some of you need to reunite and restore your relationship with God, your Father. Would you just take this opportunity right now and just say these words with me. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I submit to your ways. I need you. Fill me with your knowledge. I trust you. I'll follow your ways and your will for my life, in Jesus' name.